Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 192, The Invisible Man for Myth Movie Night. Myth Movie Night! Amanda, I'm very excited to hear what you thought about this movie because I really like it. Totally. It is an absolutely devastating portrayal of abuse, gaslighting, and like lots of... um, uh, horrible side effects that comes with that. So knowing that, it was a great horror movie. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we would definitely like to encourage, as every week, we include um, some content warnings and descriptions in the description of this episode. And uh, if it's not something that would make your week uh, or day better, then feel free to go ahead and skip it. We'll have a new episode next week, like we have for the last 192 weeks. Oh, boy. So many weeks. We've been doing this for so long. And it's a joy, Julia, every week to be it able is. to connect with you and sometimes Eric Schneider and to do our thing and talk about ghosts. And it's fabulous. I love talking about ghosts and spooky things. I also love that we get to enjoy that with new people every week. And I want to thank in particular our newest patrons, Christian, Thomas, Julia, Nicola, Timo, Shanae, Andy, Danielle, California, and Artemis. What wonderful names. What good patrons. They join the ranks of hundreds of people who give up a few dollars a month to help us make this our living. And we are so grateful for each and every one of you, particularly our supporting producer level patrons, Philip, Alicia, Deborah, Hannah, Jen, Jessica, Keegan, Landon, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Molly, Mr. Folk, Neil, Nikki, Phil Fresh, Polly, Sarah, and Skyla, and our legend level patrons for whom I get to pick a wonderful gift. I almost said delicious. Sometimes they are delicious Mm -hmm. every month. Audra, Chelsea, Clara, Donald, Drew, Eden, Francis, Jack Marie, Josie, Lada, Mark, Morgan, Necrofancy, Sarah, and BME Up Scotty. It always makes me so happy to see those names week after week, just like being there, supportive. It's like a big hug, just reading those names out. Absolutely. Oh, what a nice, what a nice time. Amanda, what's uh, what's treating you like a big hug lately? What is giving you comfort and joy? Julia, that would be the Bad Queers podcast. This is by her, the dating app. And it's actually a very good podcast by an app, which there are not a ton of examples of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say that it's for people who feel like they came out of the closet and got placed in a box. Mm. And in terms of nuanced descriptions of queer identity and being like a quote unquote bad queer, the hosts Chris and Shauna do a really great job of talking about all of those like one level more advanced discussions of what it's like to be a part of the queer community, stereotypes, owning your identity and like unpopular opinions, uh, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's wonderful. They do cover the news. So it's not like totally removed from our current reality, but they also have stories and advice. It's fluid and it's real. And I really appreciate that. So that is the Bad Queers podcast. Get it wherever your podcasts are captured. And downloading now. I mean, also all the multitude shows, but you know, you, we already talked about that. You yes, know. yes, yes, of course. Speaking of all the multitude shows, Amanda, I hear people can get merch from all the multitude shows and for a little cheaper than usual. Absolutely. In terms of all the ways that podcasters can try to make a living, particularly in a year like this where ad revenue is down and we can't do things like live shows, uh, merch is a really helpful way to get a gift for yourself or a loved one and support the podcast as you do so. And DFTBA, our merch distributor, is doing a big sale this week. So for both Spirits and all of the other Multitude shows, you can get a discount on our merch through August 8th. You can go to multitude.productions merch to see all of the merch from all of our shows in one place. And there are also some new items for sale. Join the Party has a mug, Spirits. We have those wonderful copper pins in partnership with Shaker and Spoon. And there's all kinds of digital rewards, digital wallpapers, ringtones, PDFs, and other fun things that you can download, like our coloring book, which you can print out and color with your spooky like nieces and nephews. 
or on your own. On your own. I've been taking up coloring before I go to bed lately, and it's really, really nice. And if you are a patron for Spirits at any level, you can get an additional discount code. So if you sign up now, get that discount code, y'all. Absolutely. Both the code and the DFTBA sale are through August 8th, but our merch is there all the time. So if you're listening to this in the future, check it out. We might even have amazing merch that we don't know about yet because we're here stuck in the past. We're in the past, man. Right now. Past. Right now. Past. Right now. Past. Oh my. Well, before any time passes us by, Julia, why don't we get into this? Welcome. It's Spirits Episode 192, The Invisible Man for Myth Movie Night. Amanda, another Myth Movie Night has come and gone. I've made you watch another creepy, creepy film. And here we are. Incredibly creepy. It was indeed. I also really love um, seeing Elizabeth Moss in like slightly scary circumstances. I really enjoyed her in Top of the Lake um, and a few of the other like crime shows that she has done. So this was a slightly, a slight, you know, derivative of a theme. Yeah, she was great in Us too. That was really, really a fantastic part for her. She she does really well as like a scream queen kind of person, uh, especially yeah. in the modern era. And I I just like her a whole lot. I also like horror movies that don't feature teenagers as much yes. as we've talked about teens in our previous Myth Movie Night. Nice to be an adult and get uh, potentially murdered. That's always fun. Listen, just to change pace, you know? Just gotta just gotta mix it up a little bit. So Amanda, um, I believe it is my turn for the uh, summary for this episode. Are you ready for me? Do you have a countdown for me? I do. I have the countdown ready. And uh, for those who are hoping to avoid spoilers, you can skip forward about two and a half minutes because that is when Julia will finish and we will be done uh, recapping the particular spoily events. Mm -hmm. uh, those always are maybe kind of mild spoilers in the episode itself. We'll do our best to let you know if those are coming. Yes, of course. All right. Tell me. Three. Two, one, go. So Elizabeth Moss is playing Cecilia, who is a woman at the beginning of the film who escapes an abusive relationship with her partner, Adrian, with the help of her sister. She ends up staying with her friend James and his teenage daughter, Sydney, but is left extremely like nervous that Adrian is going to come after her. But eventually she gets news that Adrian has committed suicide and has been left a significant amount of money in his will by his lawyer slash brother, Tom. Uh, despite this news, Cecilia still thinks someone is watching her and following her. It becomes really clear to the audience uh, pretty quickly that Cecilia isn't imagining this and someone is unseen is trying to destroy her life. Uh, an invisible figure attacks Sydney who blames it on Cecilia. She eventually finds Adrian's phone in the attic of James's house where she's staying and then covers a figure in paint uh, to show that he's actually like there. So she goes to Adrian's house to find proof that he's not dead and finds this invisibility suit uh, but is attacked as she does. She escapes and reaches out to her sister who the invisible man then kills in a restaurant in like one of the most surprising kills I've seen in a movie in a really, really long time. It was so, so good. And eventually frames Cecilia for that murder. She is institutionalized while waiting for the uh, the trial and is told that she's pregnant. Tom, which is Adrian's brother slash lawyer, reaches out and tells her that he can have the charges dropped on her if she, quote, returns to him, kind of implying that Adrian is still alive and Tom is helping him to fake his own death. Cecilia tries to fake a suicide attempt in order to lure out the invisible man and manages to stab him with a pen that she stole, like very uh, Hannibal Lecter style. 20 seconds. Oh, okay. So there's a very cool fight scene where security guards are fighting an invisible assailant. Cecilia escapes. She returns to James's house, saves Sydney, uh, who is being targeted by the Invisible Man. She shoots him. She reveals that it's Tom in the suit, not Adrian, who is found by police, like tied up in his home. 
Cecilia doesn't believe that Adrian was actually not involved, so she goes to his house to confront him while wearing a wire so that James can hear the confession. And then Adrian is not, like, outright admitting the abuse, but he does allude to it. And Cecilia leaves the room and security cameras appear to show Adrian committing suicide. Cecilia then leaves the house and James questions her, only to find that Cecilia has the suit in her bag. Yes, a tiny bit over time, but I had to I had to give you that momentum. Yeah, and plus you had to have that like that final like reveal that she has the suit and now she's going to get her revenge. It's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. It it really was like many, many twists. You know, yes. it's not like a straightforward thing where it's like someone's, you know, haunting the camp and then at the end of the you know of the movie we're done yes no it's luckily this time it is full of twists and turns it is really fascinating i love the like kind of slow momentum of the build-up and the like slow reveals that she's not just seeing things and that like someone is actually there like the scene where that you see the knife lift up off the counter is so fascinating i love it so much and I was reading a few different reviews just to kind of see what other people um, were writing about it. And uh, Tomris Laffley on RogerEbert.com made a really good point that, you know, this movie never makes us doubt Elizabeth Moss's perspective. Like, yeah. we are never in the position of other people who are denying her experience. Like, it shows us what is happening to her and we kind of find out information at the same rate as her, which I really appreciate because it's not like it was like, oh, it was happening all along. Like, mm-hmm. we know. She knows. And the the work of the movie is proving to other people that that's happening while still letting us have a good twist. So I I thought it was a a really smart script in that way. Absolutely. And I really want to talk about that kind of trope in horror later on towards the end. Like, I want that to be our kind of discussion at the end of the episode. But I would love to kind of talk about the background of The Invisible Man to start us off. Does that sound good? Please do. Okay. So I chose The Invisible Man because, as we've established before with the Shape of Water episode, I really like the universal monsters. And unfortunately, The Invisible Man is a kind of underloved character of this squad, probably because he's so difficult to pull off on film. And obviously, he doesn't have the most recognizable appearance, or maybe he does because he's, you know, invisible. But I would love to do sort of a deep dive into the beginning of The Invisible Man and then how we got to the 2020 film that is our movie for the week. I would love that. So where do we start? The easiest place to start, obviously, would be the source material, right? And our boy, H.G. Wells, the father of science fiction, daddy sci-fi himself. I regret that title a little bit. But anyway, he kind of shares that title with Jules Verne, but both of them were putting out some really prominent science fiction books in that period, with Wells being quite focused on like futurism in his novels. His first major work was The Time Machine in 1895, which saw quite a bit of acclaim. And then The Invisible Man followed soon after in 1897. Hey, also fun fact, Wells coined the term time machine. Like the reason we use time machine is because of H.G. Wells. It does sound like a very kind of late Victorian thing to be like a machine to move through time. There you go. Wells is also well known in his writing for the Wells's law. Basically, the idea that in a science fiction story, in order to bring the audience along with you, there should only be one single extraordinary assumption. So here's his quote on how the law works in his works. Quote, as soon as the magic trick has been done, the whole business of the fantasy writer is to keep everything else human and real. Touches of prosaic detail are imperative and a rigorous adherence to the hypothesis. Any extra fantasy outside the cardinal assumption immediately gives a touch of irresponsible silliness to the invention, which I genuinely do think is an interesting way to go about creating science fiction. It creates a world that is more frighteningly real to the audience because it resembles their reality, and it's put to great effect in The Invisible Man. 
totally. I've always felt that with uh, movies that I have kind of inelegantly called like future adjacent, you mm-hmm. know, or like almost the future or almost the right now, where one thing is changed enough that, you know, it's it's uncanny. Yeah, exactly. And I think that really like it makes it so much easier to kind of believe that that world can exist, which I think is why H.G. Wells' stories are still very prominently like thought of in the canon. So I want to dive into kind of Wells's version of The Invisible Man because I actually like reread it after doing this because it's been a while since I kind of revisited Ooh. it. So I'm just going to give like a pretty detailed summary because I think it's interesting how it compares to the movie version that we saw. In Wells's version of The Invisible Man, our Invisible Man is named Griffin, who appears as a man in a like long-sleeved thick coat and has his face wrapped up entirely in bandages except for a fake nose. And he wears like a large hat to cover up the upper half of his face. I feel like I know this image well from book covers. Yes, yeah. And we've seen it like in movies movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But he, at the beginning of the novel, he takes up a room at an inn in West Sussex in England and kind of like keeps to himself. He's working with chemicals and laboratory equipment during the day and he only leaves at night because, you know, he's the man just wrapped in bandages. <laughs> he eventually reveals that he is in a constant state of invisibility to the landlady of the inn because she like knocks on his door is like, hey, you got to pay your rent. And he's like, <laughs> no, and then just tries to get away. Uh, he is pursued by some townspeople who obviously don't want him there because he's like not really a pleasant dude and they suspect him of like being a burglar because a bunch of houses are robbed while he's there and he ends up uh, killing a man with a pipe as he invisibly flees but is followed he eventually recruits a man named thomas marvel which is a great name solid name it is who acts as his assistant and uh asks him to help recover these notebooks that he had to abandon when he fled the inn which basically outlined his experiments in invisibility. Uh, However, Marvel quickly turns on him because, again, not a good dude. And Marvel goes to the police and asks that they lock him in a high-security jail as to protect him from Griffin, which is a smart Mm. move. Good job, Marvel. Solid choice. Griffin is shot trying to get to Marvel in his prison cell and enact his revenge and then seek shelter, only to be discovered by a Dr. Kemp, who Griffin went to medical school with. It is revealed by Kemp that Griffin was a former medical student who abandoned his schooling in order to study optics. And I always love when the quote mad scientist archetype just like doesn't have a medical degree. Like Frankenstein was just a chemistry student. He didn't have a degree. He was not a doctor. No, in, in no way was he. It's so great. It's just like all of these like grad students being like, what if... I did a very dangerous experiment and then created a horror movie out of it. Excellent, right? Solid I choice. I know. I feel that way listening to Sawbones all the time where it's like, oh, yes, this person made important discoveries or uh, had wild confidence that, you know, was not matched up to his his like actual experimentation because mostly mm-hmm. it, it is he. And there were just there was less to know about those subjects or no sense of certainty or the canon. So, you know, you do a couple experiments at home. And it's like, I am a geologist because I have a rock garden. Like, that really is the level that we were at for a time. Well, as as we'll see, um, Griffin is also at that same level because he reveals that he invented chemicals that could turn the body invisible. And he first tested it on a cat and then himself. Oh, my. Which is like, I feel like there should be more planning in between those stages. Like, cat... And then human testing on yourself, not great, personally. Like, the ethics there are not fantastic. Don't don't experiment on yourself, I guess, is kind of my point. 
I know there are many examples of like this important vaccine researcher, you know, succumbed to the disease that they were trying to eradicate. And I get it. I get the necessity for it. But it's still like when you see it played out in fiction, you think, no, it's real bad. And it is real bad for Griffin because it's basically revealed that the procedure and the experiments have driven him mad. And he plans to use his invisibility to terrorize the country for his own purposes. So he's like, I can be invisible. So I'm going to be a terrorist. Bold choice, sir. Genuinely bold choice. I mean, I feel like I would sneak into rooftop pools or something. That wouldn't be my first choice. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But uh, this is also England during the late 1800s. So they didn't have rooftop pools back then. I'm sure that would have been his choice if they had. I mean, I'm sure it would have been equally scintillating to like stand on a corner of a neighborhood that your social class is not permitted in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's valid. But like, again, he's a chemistry student. He was probably of like decent standing before all of this he probably wasn't like not super well off but yeah anyway the final climax of the book has kemp reporting griffin to the police because obviously and though griffin fights he is eventually overwhelmed and beaten to death by a mob of villagers and in death griffin's body reappears and is covered by a sheet by the police And in the epilogue, Amanda, the epilogue, because the epilogue is always the best part, Marvel is revealed to have kept Griffin's notes and his money, but Griffin's work is too complicated and also written in like Latin and code, uh, and Marvel can't really do anything with the notes. So it's just kind of like sitting there being wasted away because this man is not intelligent enough to understand the the true meaning behind the work he holds. It feels like we're really getting set up for a sort of Jumanji uh, reboot situation <laughs> okay. where like The Rock discovers these journals in, you know, like a storage unit that he purchased at auction. A bold choice. The Rock, who just recently bought the XFL for $15 million as of this yes. recording. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can see that. I don't know if I would want The Rock to be invisible, though. He's just such a gift to our world that his invisibility would be a detriment. No, totally. That was just the first person that comes to mind when I think of reboot of a okay. classic uh, of classic movie. Gotcha. Okay, like much cool. in the future sequel. Fair enough. So obviously the original novel of The Invisible Man is very different from the film that we watched, but the fundamentals are still very much there. Uh, Adrian also specializes in optics, much like Griffin. However, it's not chemicals that transform him into an invisible person, but rather a camera-covered suit. And Adrian also has the ability to be both visible and invisible, whereas Griffin seemingly cannot control his invisibility. That's why he's got to be wrapped up in bandages and whatnot. And while Wells tries his best to keep his science pretty realistic for, you know, the time period that they're in. Uh, The Russian writer Yakov Perlman refuted in his 1913 book, quote, Physics Can Be Fun, which is a great title for a book in 1913. It sure is. He says that if Griffin's method was actually put to the test, that person made invisible would be blind because, quote, a human eye works by absorbing incoming light, not letting it through completely. Wells, like, sort of acknowledges this problem when he describes in, like, a flashback the retinas of the cat that Griffin tested his chemicals on and like basically says that they were still visible because they like flashed but the retina that remains would still be flooded by light and at best would only seem extremely blurred images which I think is really cool that we like know the science behind if this would work or not. Totally. But of course, Amanda, it's not as though H.G. Wells invented the concept of invisibility. And being able to pass through this world unseen is something that we've seen across many mythologies and in many cultures. So we'll dive into that a bit when we return from the refill. All right, let's go. Amanda, I am constantly trying to learn new things. 
it just I, I miss being a student in a lot of ways. And especially now that, you know, even if I wanted to go back to school, I wouldn't be learning, you know, physically in a classroom. It's really, really nice to be able to pick up a class with Skillshare. And Skillshare is all about exploring new skills, deepening existing passions, and getting really like lost in your own creativity, uh, especially when you're taking classes with Skillshare. You can learn about illustration, you can learn about design, photography, video, freelancing, and so, so much more. I took a class this week called Odd Bodies, Illustrating Expressive Stylized People, which is by the illustrator Tom Froze. And I really, really like being able to kind of flex a new style of art every now and again, like really get those creative juices flowing and being able to kind of uh, pick up something new. I want to pick up watercolor, I think, sometime soon. And I bet there's a Skillshare class for that. Oh, yeah. And luckily, Skillshare is a great way to stay inspired, to express yourself, and to connect with a community of creatives like I did when I took my Odd Bodies class. So you can explore your creativity right now by going to Skillshare.com Spirits2, where our listeners can get two free months of premium membership. Again, that's two months free at Skillshare.com Spirits2. Julia, something that I am not nostalgic for is the experience of going clothes shopping, uh, which as somebody who is plus sized and also, you know, like gets sweaty walking around, doesn't want to just try on clothes other people have tried on and Mm -hmm. it's stressful. They might not have my my, uh, size in stock. And also, like everybody, my body has unique proportions that maybe don't match how all clothes are cut. So what I really love is that when I am shopping with Stitch Fix, A, all of the clothes are selected by one of their stylists to fit my body and my budget. So I am not falling in love with a jumpsuit or a dress that I see and then realize, oh, no, it's $200. Um, And B, that you can give notes that go beyond what your size is. So for every box that you get and then send back, you whether you buy the items or you return them, you can give feedback on how they fit. And you can let them know if you liked the price, the value, the fabric, the pattern, and specifically how it fit. They also ask, you know, are tops usually like too loose on you in the sleeve or too tight in the waist? And it is a really, really useful way to get clothes that you are excited about and that probably actually are going to fit you. No, I really love how much they really listen to your feedback. Like I have said several times, I'm like, y'all, I have yet to find a jumpsuit that can fit me properly because my legs are one size and my upper body is another size. So if you guys can figure out how to make that work, that would be great. And I've gotten like three jumpsuits from Stitch Fix that all fit me very, very well, which if I went to like Target or a nice boutique or something, I would never be able to find a, a jumpsuit that looks good on me. And for all of the work that they do selecting the right clothes for you, they charge a $20 styling fee. But if you keep even one thing from the box that you get, that $20 styling fee will be applied toward the cost of the item. So shipping and exchanges are also always free and returns as well. So you're not penalized if you need to you know, return a couple items from the box. But if you get a box and you love every single item in it and decide to keep it, you can get 25% off the cost of those items by going to stitchfix.com slash spirits to sign up for Stitch Fix. Yep, that's stitchfix.com slash spirits for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash spirits. And finally, Julia, especially in these times, TM, it can be helpful to have something to focus your mind on when you are trying to fall asleep or trying to take a a meditative walk or even trying to meditate. And I really love that the Calm app delivers all of those for me. 
they call themselves like a mental fitness app and they mm-hmm. really do give you exercises and challenges to relieve anxiety, improve your sleep or whatever else you're trying to focus on. They are generally there to help you ease stress and get good sleep. They have soundscapes, guided meditations and over a hundred sleep stories narrated by soothing voices like Lucy Luz, who should be in mm-hmm. way, way more voiceover because she's so fantastic. True. And if you go right now to calm.com slash spirits, you will get their limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. Yeah, join over 70 million people, us included, around the world who use Calm to help take care of their minds and get even better sleep. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library with new content added every week. Yep, that's calm.com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. Amanda, it felt kind of right to pick a clear cocktail for this episode since oh, we yeah. can see right through that invisible man. And But he's still very, very much there, just like our alcohol choices. And his abusive tactics, you will be found out, sir. Sir, you will. So we're going to recommend a white Cosmo, which is really simple to make. It's basically just a regular Cosmo, but instead of using regular cranberry juice, you swap that in for some white cranberry juice. Nice and simple, really delightful. Tastes a little bit sweeter than your typical Cosmo, since the white cranberry juice is a little sweeter compared to the regular. But I think you'll find that it's just as delicious. I like to cut it with a little lemon juice now and again if you want to add that little acidic pop. There you go. Perfect. And with the triple sec, it's absolutely delicious. Plus, the Cosmo is a classic, much like the Invisible Man. So a perfect cocktail. Good decision, Jules. Thanks, bud. So invisibility, Amanda, like I said, obviously it predates H.G. Wells. In fact, one of the first depictions of invisibility, specifically not like a deity or a spirit, uh, since many of those can turn invisible, but like as smoke or the wind or what have you, uh, is a story that was told by Plato, and it is the Ring of Gygus. So Gygus was a shepherd for the king of Lydia, and one day he is tending to his flock, and then there's an earthquake that reveals a cave in the mountainside. Also, side note, sorry, this is just a recommendation from me. I just watched Palm Springs on Hulu, which has Andy Samberg in it, and it is like a really fun twist on the kind of Groundhog's Day stuck in a loop thing. It's really, really fun. I had a good time with it. It's got like a lot of like existential questions. J.K. Simmons pops up really randomly in it and like has a really deep conversation. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. But back to Plato. I mean, similarly with caves, uh, my my partner Eric Silver and I watched yesterday a Firewatch uh, playthrough from a Games Done Quick marathon. And um, I I really loved the depiction of nature there. And they have a really lovely cave sequence. Nice. I like that. So back to back to bring a Gygus, a Gygus shepherd for the king of Lydia. One day he's tending to his flock and there's an earthquake that reveals a cave in the mountainside. As Gygus investigates the cave, he finds that it's actually a tomb for a very large man, just extremely large, like giant sized man who has been laid to rest in a bronze horse for some reason. Uh, Gygus then sees that he's wearing a golden ring, which Gygus takes uh, and like, hey, bud, maybe don't grave rob. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Don't yeah, do that. Oh, no, maybe. Uh, Gygus soon discovers that the ring can turn him invisible when he adjusts it on his finger like the ring in Lord of the Rings. And he uses that power to infiltrate the king's palace where he seduces the queen, gets her help to kill the king and then marries her, becoming the king of Lydia himself. Wow. That That's is a whole lot. That's a whole lot. And also required a lot of skill that wasn't being invisible. Yeah. Yeah. No, just like for a shepherd, I guess he kind of deserved to be king. 
Like, he's got skills that are not just shepherd skills. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's very, uh, very Macbethian, but I'm into it. Uh, but again, this is like another instance of the power in- of invisibility being used for like less than great reasons. But it does show a kind of common trait in invisibility. It's an item or a piece of clothing that allows someone to turn invisible at will, which is a common thing and a common trait we'll see in a lot of mythology. Totally. For example, if we dip into Greek mythology, Hades was said to have a cap or a helmet that could turn the wearer invisible. The grandfather of Odysseus, which is Autolycus, was said to have a helmet that also could turn him invisible. And he was like a well-known thief, but like, you know, the the cunning kind of thief that looks... Sure like is looked up to because of his craftiness like not instead of like being like a bad person it's like don't marry my daughter but fair enough <laughs> but like we get it like it's it's robin hood-esque sure uh the norse also had a similar helmet which was known as the tarn helm which uh could not only turn the wearer invisible but also could allow them to change their shape as well such as the form of a dragon which like invisible and a dragon pretty dope that is wonderful. I think all things considered, I would rather be able to shift into an animal because then you kind of are functionally invisible from other people when you're trying to like do human things. Sure. But unless think, you're a dragon. <laughs> unless you're a dragon. I mean, I was thinking more like, you know, a dog, hamster, a cat. cat. Yeah. If I like saw that, a bird. random hamster running around, though, Amanda, I would be <laughs> concerned. Okay. Maybe maybe cat, rat, uh, crow and cool. like uh, insect. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're on the same page because like dragon and hamster not the best combo yeah no not great and i think it's really interesting amanda because uh we do talk about invisibility a lot as a thing of fiction but i would also love to talk about the actual science behind it and how close we are to actually turning science fiction into science fact I love that phrase, science fiction. I love when that happens. Quick science breakdown in terms of like the definition of invisibility. It's literally when a thing is not visible, right? Uh, (laughs) And when an object is visible, it's because there is light reflecting off of the surface of that object and hitting the viewer's eye, which allows it to be seen. That's why like when it's dark, we can't really see too well because our eye is not registering light bouncing off of things. That was definitely a trippy thing for me to learn in my adolescence. It's like, oh, there is no like objective sight. Like there is no thing is actually visible in the world. It's just all how does my eye perceive it and how does my brain decode it? And it's yeah. it's truly amazing. Yeah, exactly. So invisibility by this definition uh, would mean that an object cannot reflect or absorb light. So currently there's no practical way of, quote, like, cloaking an item, that is to say, creating a real optical invisibility. Uh, There are some theoretical ideas of how we could potentially achieve these things, such as using metamaterials and applying radio waves in order to distort visible light, for example. In a, like, year 2000 version of The Invisible Man, actually, uh, that method is what is used. There is a theory that light waves can be manipulated similarly to radio waves. Uh, In fact, a scientist from the University of California, Berkeley, Jiang Zhang, explains it in a way like that even I could understand, I'm not huge on science. Uh, And his quote is, In the case of invisibility cloaks or shields, the material would need to curve light waves completely around the object like a river flowing around a rock. An observer looking at the cloaked device would then see light from behind it, making it seem like it disappears. Hmm. Which, you know, kind of makes sense. Like it's just like bending around the object. So you're seeing the light past it instead of like it blocking the light that you're supposed to be seeing. 
Sure. And Amanda, in 2019, a company called Hyperstealth Biotechnology, which is a bit on the nose and sounds like a villain in a sci-fi movie. Not yeah. great. Uh, I would pat- flag that as like a suspicious transaction on my credit card. <laughs> For sure. They patented a technology that would create a material that bends light to make people and objects near invisible to the naked eye, which is called quantum stealth. Again, a bit on the nose, gang. Not great. Don't love that. And of course, Amanda, they plan on using it for military purposes because what else, I guess? I guess we're just living in a dumb cyberpunk future and I'm not a huge fan of it. What what else? Anyway. Why else would we need scientific advancement and, I don't know, research funding? (sighs) However, the bending of light seems to not be the only way to turn things invisible, at least not in theory. In 2012, a new physical phenomenon related to electronic resonance of laser processed materials was discovered. And I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I asked Jake and I still don't totally understand what that (laughs) means, Uh, but I'll try to give you my best. And I'm sure someone will send us an email telling me how I got this wrong. But basically from a university in Canada called Laval University, the scientists created a way of using lasers instead of circuitry and electronics so that the conduits aren't visible. Basically, like, sure. what I what I think it's trying to say is, again, I'm not a scientist. I don't really get physics or lasers or engineering super well. That's why I married an engineer. Together, we kind of make a well-rounded person, but it's basically... Other reasons, too. But yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yes, thanks, honey. We make a well-rounded, smart person. It's fine. But basically, like, they're able to make circuits, but with lasers, and you can't see the lasers. Yeah, like instead of wires that you can see laying there, the connections are made with lasers, which you can't see. Yes, exactly. So, Amanda, at the end of the day, I really kind of like understand the appeal of invisibility as a story mechanic, both in mythology and in later fiction especially as a horror mechanic. We, we talk a lot on the show about how disturbing it is to like think you hear or see something that no one else can see or hear and only to discover that it's not real. And a big personal like fear of mine too is the classic like quote, woman is 100% definitely being haunted or stalked or gaslit and the rest of the world just does not believe her, which is totally. why like asylum horror tends to really be like big on my list of horror tropes that really, really put the scare in me. But I think there's like a, a deeper part to that as well. One of the big questions that are is often like posed to people in like, would you rather style games is the choice between invisibility and flight. And according to a Psychology Today article, to choose invisibility is to embrace your Jungian shadow self in order to transcend it. And there is something like distinctly dark about choosing invisibility. Like it's the ability to get away with something, to have your actions hidden from society and to enact on these secret desires that no one else can know about. And I think that's what is particularly scary about invisibility. It makes the fact that it could happen in our lifetime even scarier. Absolutely. And I think it was a really prescient decision for Ralph Ellison to use the title Invisible Man for his novel about like the African-American experience in the early 20th century. Um, And it touches on like Black identity, Marxism, Black nationalism. And it's just like a very foundational book um, for a lot of contemporary writers on race and Black identity. There is something about like, it's not just the visible in the physical sense. It's also social recognition. Mm -hmm. And like being visible in society is something that people have to confer on you and a thing that should be inherent but in the sort of like socially constructed world of hierarchy race you know power all those things and the physical tangible benefits and deprivations that that the racist society like assigns and takes away Mm -hmm. visibility means a lot 
Right. And I, that is the one that kind of starts at the beginning of the novel with the idea. It's like, they don't see me because they don't see me as a person. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that is, a, that is a great example. Like, physical invisibility is something that we really think about in a lot of mythology and stuff like that. But there are so many, like, groups of people who are basically invisible to the rest of society because it is easier, quote unquote, be, it's less uncomfortable for us to not think about those people. Yeah. And that's something that I, I hope and think that everybody is kind of getting better at um, and and recognizing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, at the beginning of the episode, Amanda, we kind of talked a little bit about the idea in the movie that we as the audience are never put into a place where we think that Cecilia is not being followed like this stuff is yeah. we know that things are happening to her because she goes off screen and we as the viewers are shown that someone is messing with her life someone is turning on the gas on the stove and turning it up so that it catches fire or someone picks up the knife and hides it away from her and stuff like that and i think that that is like genuinely something that is one of the big horror moments for me that is something that really sits with me when I watch movies like this. And I, I really like that it's something that you picked up as well, is the idea that you know you are sane, but the people around you don't believe you. Yeah, or trying actively to make you doubt that belief in yourself. Yeah, and it's it's part of the reason, too, that when we got into the asylum portion of the movie, like the institutionalized portion of the movie, again, that's like, that's big horror for me. Asylum horror is big horror for me. But um, that you're so vindicated in that fight scene that suddenly these people are so unprepared for something that you are prepared for is, oh God, it, it felt so validating in that moment watching it being like, oh, you're, you're all so stupid. Come on. Why didn't you believe her? <laughs> you can see that something's happening now. Do something Someone about knew. it. Yeah. Someone knew. Oh, gosh. And that's that's, I think, what makes this movie so impactful for me is that you feel so vindicated when Cecilia is vindicated, right? Yeah, 100%. It's also beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully done. It is a gorgeous movie. And the the effects and the stunts, especially in a lot of these like invisible fight scenes, was so, so, so well done. I really need to like find a behind the scenes documentary or something and see how they, they shot all of that because it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it never felt like when you see on sitcoms, actors like pick up the telephone, say three things in quick succession. And like, there is no way that the, a person on the other end of the telephone could have had a conversation with them because yes. they're not waiting long enough. Or every time they pick up a coffee cup, it is obviously empty. Oh, um, that drives it is, me crazy. I know, I know. It's my least and favorite I, I get thing. It. I get it. I get that you don't want to spill on the costumes. I get it. But just come on, um, put, a, put a, some ball bearings in there. Anyway, it is not like we thought Cecilia was fighting with the air. Like they really seriously, whether it was somebody in uh, a green screen suit or whatever, like they did it well. And mm -hmm. I agree that seeing the behind the scenes would be really fascinating here. It would be. It would be definitely. I'm, I'm just like, I'm very glad this movie exists in a lot of ways because I think it takes that trope of the like woman not being believed and then finding vindication and gives the audience more of that. Because I feel like, 90% of the time when you're seeing a movie like that, the point of the film is to put that doubt in your head and to feel vindicated at the end. But this whole time you are just asking for someone to believe this poor goddamn woman. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of Inception in that way, mm. where I, I was actually talking with my Eric about this uh, and how Christopher Nolan, we watched his um, magician movie. What is it? The Prestige, the Prestige. recently. Um, we watched the, the Prestige and then that other magician movie that came out the same year. Oh, God. The Illusionist. Yeah, I, I, yes, The Illusionist yeah. and The Prestige. Those are the two. I'm still half convinced that it, there is no difference. They're probably anyway, just the same movie. After watching The Prestige, I was like, yeah, Christopher Nolan loves at the end of his movie to be like, fuck you, you don't know what you just saw, I'm the storyteller, bye. And while I am a fan of ambiguous endings in theory or in small doses, I really appreciate that this one, like the ambiguity was not ambiguity, but a sense of hope. Like that end of the movie that leaves you turning to your seatmate and being like, whoa, was not like, did everything we just spent a bunch of time believing turn out to be false? Because, you know, maybe for the more privileged in society, that is not an experience that they have to deal with all the time or convincing people that they're right or, you know, searching desperately for kind of vindications of their point of view. But instead, you know, here we get to see Cecilia be right. And then at the end of the movie to kind of have more um, options than she did at the beginning. Yeah, it is it is nice to have a horror movie where the end happens and you punch the air excited because yes, it, totally. it worked out. All yeah. of the all of the lead up to this is worth it because she got to get her revenge and it's wonderful. Well, I was scared, but I also had some wonderful moments of vindication, and that's kind of what I go to horror movies for. Exactly. And I love it. Well, Julia, thank you again for bringing this to me for our mid-movie night. Amanda, you are very welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. And remember, everybody, believe yourself. And also, stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors at Skillshare.com spirits2. You can get two free months of Skillshare premium. At stitchfix.com spirits, you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your box. And at calm.com slash spirits, you'll get 40% off Calm Premium for unlimited access to all of the programming they have in store. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.